Hello and welcome to the Fit for Privacy podcast, the podcast for those who care about privacy. I'm your host Punit Bhatia and here we have conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas and opinions relating to privacy and data protection matters. Before we start, a quick disclaimer that the views and opinions expressed are not legal advice. So let's get started. Hello so in the season 2 we promise you that we will bring you different guests from different backgrounds so today we have a chief marketing officer chief communications officer from a digital company who has built a brand worth 15 billion us dollars he's created high performance teams high performing teams in 45 countries and the hashtag the weekend word defines him on linkedin if you want to read his interesting posts he has weekend word and he's an award winning global communications marketing and public affairs leader and he is leading international markets in one of the largest international firms providing services and you'll be surprised this organization has almost half a million employees and has revenues of 22 billion dollars so i'm talking about abhinav kumar welcome abhinav Thank you, Puneet. It's such a such a privilege, and uh, I'm so pleased to be on your pod podcast. Looking forward to our conversation. If Thanks, um, if you'll allow me to start with a little bit of humor, since we are talking, uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about privacy and GDPR and all those nice things. Uh, let me start by offering you my express consent on uh, using any word I say in your podcast and any personally identifiable information. So you have my consent, and it's documented here. good so that shows that you are not a lawyer because if you were from legal department you would have also said hey i explicitly declare that anything i say is my personal opinion and not relating to my company <laughs> absolutely um so yes i could have been a lawyer i decided to take a route into marketing as a profession and i haven't looked back and um, you know but there inter- interesting points of incidents like the one we are talking about today where there is um, intense collaboration between uh, a marketing department and then of course you know the compliance risk and regulatory side of things so always exciting well that's one of the one of the one of the pleasures of working in a field like like marketing or communications is you get to work with every part of the uh, organization with the external world and i think the opportunity to to learn so many things is is just tremendous which is which is what really excites me about this uh, being in this profession yeah so i mean we always start with the story part that is how and when did you start to hear about this privacy or this gdpr thing because in corporate communications or marketing this is not a word you learn in your school or in your education and it's not something that was being referred a lot at least few years back so when did it start hitting into your world yeah i think if you think of the concept of privacy it's something which is um, you know continue to evolve and still continues to do so um in 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 our lives it's it's closely linked with the advent of um, you know the internet and uh, technology and 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 today even more than ever social media and platforms and other things and and, and all as always every time new challenges are thrown up the definition and the boundaries of uh, privacy continue to move Uh, i think historically in the marketing field you know uh, privacy was all about when you used to send out things like direct mailers by post um, you know it was about securing people's um, home addresses and things like that right um today it's uh, 
as we'll talk about GDPR and all, it's about, you know, how, how do you collect people's personal information? How can you process it? How can you use it? And I think um, there isn't any marketing department in the world which um, is not thinking about privacy um, For sure. in, in, in every aspect of what they do. But um, yeah, it's, it's something which has evolved. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, historically, this wouldn't, if you look at what are the top 10 things which um, uh, a marketing function would concern itself with, probably privacy wouldn't have been in the picture in the 1990s or maybe even in the early uh, 2000s. Um, today, if you ask anyone to make a list, uh, you know, privacy, compliance, um, proper data management, ethics uh, will certainly be there on the list of any, any, any marketing department. Right. And then how do you see GDPR or general data protection regulation in one word? Because people often have, have different words that they associate with these laws. Yeah, one word is interesting. Uh, it's a very <laughs> large uh, piece of regulation and it's, it's taken a long time to come in and, and now and be implemented. But I think if you ask me for, to just put one word on it, um, I'll put in a very positive word. The word I'll use is respect. Wow. Right? Uh, because if you look at GDPR, and I think people have had different reactions to it, and, and of course, the, what they feel about it may have changed over time. But in essence, if you take a step back and look at what it's looking to do, um, it is in regulation. It is looking at protecting uh, individuals and consumers. But more than just that, I think it's a statement. It's a right. statement on the right for an individual's privacy. And in a sense, it equates that right as being something which is fundamental, right? Almost a human right in that sense. Yeah. Uh, and that's the ethos behind it. So, so I think it is, it is about respect um, both ways, respect for an individual's privacy, but then also uh, respect for how uh, a business or an institution uh, can find the right ways of you know, processing information and, and, and actually adding value to consumers, right? I mean, we'll talk about it as the conversation goes on, but I think privacy needs to be looked at at various lenses. But if you, if you ask um, any person, right? Any, any lay person, you, you can go out on the streets and bustles and talk to someone and say, uh, do you think you should have privacy and do you think um, nobody should have your data? Um, a lot of them would just gravitate towards and say, yeah, absolutely. It should be, it should be just with me. But if you pose the question in a different way, saying if company X had your, some data on you and that offered you discounts on what you were procuring or it helped you get, um, I don't know, access to a new job or some kind of value, um, you know, uh, it could be something like, um, you know, I think a lot of us wear these fitness devices now, right? I'm yeah. wearing a, uh, Garmin, no endorsement, but people wear <laughs> Fitbits, whatever. Um, a lot of us are give, giving a lot of our health data into these apps and things because we're getting value back from it, which is in terms of analytics, which is helping define how we do things. Um, one of the other apps which I use is something called MyFitnessPal, which helps you record what is the food which you're eating, right? And um, it uh, gives you some really good insights into, you know, to the level of are you eating right? Yep. Right. And, and down to the level of uh, in, in your food intake, are you taking in enough of certain nutrients? Are you getting enough magnesium, zinc, whatever? It can do that if you're, if you're, if you're thorough with it. And that's great, right? Because uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's a bigger investment than investment into your health? Now, there's an element of trust and respect involved here because um, by using this, I'm getting value. But my expectation as a consumer is that the company is using my data correctly and ethically to provide me this value. And um, in case it needs to use it for some other purpose, like a commercial purpose, uh, 
if it asks for my consent, I might agree. It might say, okay, can we share your data with certain with, with Carrefour or with certain food companies so that if they have an offer, if I consume a lot of protein bars, so if they have an offer on, on protein bars and, and they can, or they can keep you informed on new products there, is that okay for you, right? So if I get an explicit and um, a clear consent like that, chances are I'm going to say yes. But if I discover one day that this company has sold my data off and suddenly I'm starting getting a, a lot of uh, promotions and other things, which I'm surprised that, you know, some the company writes to me saying, you started running a lot recently and you're consuming, um, you know, a lot more fruit. So we thought we could sell you these pineapples. I'd pretty much, uh, you know, that's what causes panic in consumers. And, and you go back and say, how did they get this information on me? You find out it was this app and you shut it down. So. Yes. I think there is a common, if you look at the Venn diagram between a person's need for privacy and um, a business providing value to you, there is a point of incidence. And, and I think if uh, going back to your original question, I think GDPR is an attempt to find what is that point of confluence. Yeah. And I think it's respect, it's trust. And when you are doing it transparently, then it creates more trust and consumers are more willing because end of the day, we are looking for a fair exchange. If I'm giving you my data, I want something back because there's no free lunch. Everybody knows it. If I'm giving data, I'm giving it for a reason rather rather than it being sold to somebody else. And while all that is true, how does that get into your corporate communication space? Because when you're communicating externally, communicating on websites, does it impact? Does it even change the language? Because I have worked with some companies wherein even the entire corporate communication strategy has been adapted to say we need to demonstrate privacy-centric or trust-centric language. Does it impact in your view as well? Of course. I think um, when you looked at GDPR over the last, um, I would say, five years, right? Because it came into um, force in 2018. But we started preparing for it probably about two years ago before that, from 2016 yeah. onwards, right? And, and um, of course, after it was com coming to force, you have periodic audits and other things to make sure we're compliant on all fronts. Uh, like any other company, it involved changes in how we were capturing data, processing data. You know, we had to go back and look at our own existing databases and, and see if we did have, ex, you know, explicit con consent or if we, whether we had, um, you know, legitimate interest in the case of existing clients and all of those things. Um, so I think it was an intense exercise um, from the marketing team, particularly in Europe, because of course it, um, it's, a, it's a regulation for the EU and, and EU citizens. Um, we took it pretty seriously, Puneet. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, you know, when whenever any kind of compliance things comes along, uh, you know, marketing and communications teams are, are intensively busy, right? We never have enough resources, never have enough people and a million things to do. So when your next compliance comes along, uh, it's hard. And, 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 you know, the easy thing to do is, okay, let's give it to whoever is free on the team, right? Or yeah. give it to the intern or whatever it is, and we'll, we'll comply. We'll just about comply with the bare minimum. I think GDPR was ex was very different in that way. Uh, we took it very seriously. In fact, uh, we put in a, a strong team in Europe. Um, uh, we put in one of our senior most marketeers, a lady called Maria Thomas, and uh, embedded with her was an expert in this field, a, a person called Chris. And between them, they created a larger ecosystem and team. And 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 just the act of putting someone fairly senior on the job gave it that gravitas and that uh, attention inside the company. Um, so they worked out a plan, they worked out, you know, we did the audit, we had all the education exercises, et cetera. And I think by the time things came about, we were ready for it. Um, but, you know, GDPR, one, one point is compliance, whether it's the technology which you're using, 
you know, making sure all your marketing and communication channels from your, from our website to our uh, outbound emails to uh, even if we have forms in, in, in social platforms, let's say we put a study on LinkedIn and, and we're, you know, uh, capturing data from it, we still need to put in our privacy notice and all of that. So one thing is the technical part. Uh, the other part is the technology part, which is do, how do we change our CRM um, database and capture information? There were new things which, which needed to be kept on record with GDPR. Uh, one example being every time you capture consent, you need to keep a record of that consent, right? Yep. And uh, keep that updated and all of those things. But I think the biggest change is actually culture. Yes. Right? Um, if you'll allow me to go back to, to sure. one of my favorite quotes, which I often quote um, um, inside my, my, my function, it's by uh, this gentleman called Dave Packard, who was one of the founders of Schuler Packard. So Dave Packard uh, said that marketing is too important to be left to the marketing department, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'll paraphrase him and say, um, privacy and data protection is too important to be left to the DPO. Fully agree. It's an organization-wide thing. Um, and I think, um, obviously, uh, a lot of things changed and we continue to uh, evolve based on how things work. But by, just by the exercise of implementing this, uh, obviously, our European team is compliant. But it also gave a lot of insights to our teams across the world. Right. So, um, in fact, in, in one way, this has become the gold standard. So, even, even in, in regions in the world where this law doesn't apply, we're still looking at this as the standard which we need to adhere to, right? It For example, sense. when we do things in the United States or in other places, uh, US is more regional in law, California has a different privacy thing. I mean, you're aware of all of that. Uh, but we look at this as the gold standard. So if you're compliant to GDPR in the US or compliant exactly. to GDPR in, in, in Singapore, then you know we, we feel that whatever is the local regulation that is covered anyways within. And in that sense, it's been, it's, it's been extremely useful uh, as an exercise internally too. Indeed. And I think GDPR usually serves as the gold standard or a policy which you can frame in, in the company and say, this is the standard we will adhere to. And then any other law is more on an exception basis yeah. because you would 80, 90% cover most of the things. And does it impact the marketing part also? Because you needed the communication part, your entire strategy needs to change. So is it very similar? Because in the marketing, or I don't know if you see events as something else, in the way events were being organized, in the way you were recording, in the way you were collecting images, that has shifted or changed a lot? It certainly has. It certainly has. And I think we run marketing communication in an integrated manner. Um, okay. If you know, Especially in terms of marketing activities, you're speaking about events, um, we're talking about you know, content, we're talking about engaging our audiences and prospects and other things. Uh, there, is, there, is a, there, is, there is probably a bigger change than is on the communication side, which is more you know, communications oriented towards media and social media which um, has some changes, but the marketing side, there's been immense changes. In fact, let me, let me, well, let me try and illustrate this in terms of a story, right? Um, I'll talk about the world's most valuable database. Yeah. So do you know what that is? Any guesses? What's the world's most valuable database? I would say it's the customer database or the yeah, identity of individual in citizens. Okay, I'm just, uh, I'm using a little bit of hyperbole, but, um, so, so I'm, I'm talking about the World Economic Forum uh, okay. of Davos, right? It's, mm -hmm. um, we've been a partner to the World Economic Forum for, uh, we celebrated 10 years of our partnership in uh, last year. 
when when the event was actually held and of course since then uh, things have been different <laughs> over the last uh, 18 months <laughs> as we've all noticed the um so one of the things uh, one of the things so if you look at the world economic forum their flagship event is is davos which is the annual meeting which takes place in january in in switzerland in the small ski 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 resort of uh, davos you have um, about 3000 official delegates and a lot of other people come in there um and and the reason why this gets so much attention rightfully so is because those 3000 delegates are uh, you know people who are leaders of the world's largest businesses governments academia media civil society um there are about 1500 ceos and chairpersons of the world's largest companies there there are more than 100 heads of states there and so forth right so the reason why any you know uh, the, why any company or any ceo goes there because everyone else is there right <laughs> now what does what does that mean now if we, when we go to davos we do a lot of things there uh, but you know we we host certain events we have a big reception there for 500 leaders very importantly we have meetings we have for, uh, our it's it's a grueling schedule for our for our own leadership team they do 40 or 50 30 minute meetings over 3 days now what goes behind setting all of this up right getting people to your reception um setting those one on one meetings and all of that is the world's most valuable database which is the list this list of 3000 people who attend davos right now historically before gdpr this list used to be freely shared between partners saying okay these are all the people coming this is everyone's contact number this is their email and there you go right and you could contact each other and set up your agendas and schedules and invite each other to lunches and whatever um i think the year before gdpr was to come into force the forum like any other institution also imbibed and and took a early step on that process and uh, implemented it to the letter as they should uh and what they did was that when you were registering for davos you uh had the option well you were you were opted out so you needed to opt in if you wanted your phone number yep. or your email or whatever shared with whoever else is coming there um as you know what happens in opt in is not by any other reason but just by default yeah most people end up not opting in correct right um because not clear to them why they should opt in or what they get out of true so so when they assembled this database only something like 30% of the people had opted in so suddenly we were left in a situation where a whole lot of people whom we wanted to invite to our reception or to our event or or to have meetings with we didn't have a central database available to contact them um how did we fix this problem our marketing department went to overdrive we uh, we put in place a team inside our event team we we, we had a team in india and uh, they used uh, a very old economy way of uh, of sorting this out which is when we identified who we wanted to invite or meet in the list um you know we we obviously you know we looked at it from gdpr and legal point of view and we made almost one on one outreaches to people right so for example if you wanted to call the chairman of a company to a dinner there would be someone who's made a call to their head office saying you know we are this <laughs> company so the digital company saying this is funny but this is what we did is uh, we had a call to the head office saying that we're hosting a dinner this thing we'd love to call the chairman could you share your email with us or could you let us know on what what place we can send this invite right so a different exercise some people were reached out right. on social platforms and in a sense we reassembled manually the database um two three month exercise we managed to get the database up to about i think 80 or 85% right. and our events and things were very successful at davos as as always there was no blip that year but i think uh, in many ways it was a good exercise because it taught us 
that you could go out and in a very ethical way reassemble something which was available to you easy before yes right and i think scores of companies when gdpr came on especially um marketing companies outreach companies you know uh, agencies which help you with sales really suffered because uh, immediately their their 70 80 90% of the databases were lost right. a lot of them mailed people to ask for an opt in and uh, people didn't yeah. right um so over the over the time they slogged through it i think most of them have reassembled their databases and 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 it was a great exercise to kind of clean the system up it was a great exercise for clean the system but it also there were a lot of companies which were buying data and now they needed to understand what are the consequences of buying and how will they demonstrate where did oh, they get this they stopped yeah, absolutely absolutely no no i'm saying i'm saying absolutely i think a lot of practices some were stopped some are some are still going on right, right. i think um, if you look at the outcomes of gdpr now that we are about 3 years into it it was uh, almost i guess it will be the 3 year anniversary in a month from now mm-hmm. um if you look at the outcomes of it uh, and you have the facts and the stats with you kunal right so the gdpr has uh, i think one thing which focused people's attention on gdpr was the sheer nature of the uh, negative outcomes right so as a company you could be fined 20 million uh, euros or 4% of your global revenue massive right um yeah. it's a good way to get attention when you see that dumping <laughs> If you look at what has happened since um, over the last three years, I think somewhere around six hundred fines have actually been issued by the Com- European Commission. Yes. Uh, in value, that's about three hundred million euros of fines which have been collected of varying natures, right? Correct. Uh, I think interestingly enough, Google has the record of both the highest fine, which is fifty million euros, and the uh, for Google in France, and the lowest fine, which is twenty eight euros for Google in Ireland, which is very interesting. Right? But if you go into that set of data. what you'd find is uh, there are lots of lots of insights there um i think regionally also the largest the largest number and the value of fines have interestingly enough been issued in italy and in spain uh some of them if you look at them are still indulging in the practices which had to be curtailed there are many you know call center companies which were doing uh, unfair uh, data scraping processes or not looking at consent or making it very hard for someone to um get get them listed off or invoke the right to forget and and other things right mm-hmm. so there is that but a, actually a large part of it is less to do with that because i think that behavior is on a decline it's still there in some places but it's it's declined to a, right. a large but a large part of the fines were towards a very interesting ancillary issue to 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 gdpr and data protection but i think which is going to become the main it already is and increasingly going to become the main issue which is cyber security right it's data breaches we've had big breaches recently uh, each year they've been growing uh, there's you know i don't need to tell you then it's 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 a massive list right and and there's a huge cost to this if you right. look at the area of cyber security i think uh, there are various estimates but i think uh, one of the one of the estimates says we lose something like a trillion dollars worth of economic value due to uh, cyber crime and, and 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 breaches right if you split that trillion dollars up uh, it's that 80 20 pareto thing yeah. so about 20% of it is what is spent on protection what companies are spending to protect themselves but 80% of it 800 billion dollars is is what is lost and this is something which is growing um, i think one of the reports i was reading recently said cyber crime has grown by 6 100% puni 600% yep, because we are all during, online during covid because 
everyone is at home more vulnerable uh, as you know 95% of cyber breaches are human engineering they're, they're due to human failures not due to any technology or process or whatever right and and they're getting more sophisticated uh, phishing attacks ransomware whatever it is is getting more sophisticated now we're living in the age where there's deep fakes um, you know yeah. soon you'll get a like we are talking today soon you'll get a zoom call and on the other side you might see it may look like it's your boss or someone talking to you but it's not right i'm right. saying okay ship you know just put 10000 euros in this something or the other right and and there are people who will fall for it um so i think that is something which 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 is vitally important in this whole conversation the other thing about cybersecurity is we just don't have the you know uh, we're playing a catch up game here yes we are one of the biggest issues is skills even today there's a shortfall in terms of talent of 4 million people in the cybersecurity area right um in, in this environment where you know um, one of the one of the impacts of covid of course was on the labor market and at the height of covid i the ilo said about 400 million jobs equivalent of 400 million jobs were lost we've recovered since but there's still a way to go to get back to the uh, 2019 level but in this scenario to have 4 million open jobs um, you know is uh, is both an opportunity but it also shows the challenge at hand there's uh, a lot of work to be done yeah absolutely right and i think privacy and security are so interwoven because there's no privacy without security so and in the modern world if you don't put security systems you can always talk about privacy then it's all theory no practice yeah and and you know i mean i was i was talking to you we were talking just a little bit like on on a very valuable but a very small database the the, the davos database is 3000 right people, right um if you look at most of the breaches they te- breaches tend to happen uh, primarily in um two or three uh, sectors yeah so essentially either it's it's government or it's large uh, retail companies which have big data sets of uh, customers um whether it's amazon or it's carrefour or uh, it's um, large technology platforms right so i think the risks are there and 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 if you look at where businesses have gone you know every business whichever sectors it's been in has used this era of digital transformation to try to look at converting themselves into a platform getting closer to your consumers learning more about them get, capturing more data about them uh, it's already exploding it's going to explode even more with, with the advent of the internet of things where sensors are being installed everywhere they're 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 growing by the billion every year and each sensor is creating more and more data um a lot of it could be <laughs> is going to be pii right yeah. um so 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 i think it's 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 there's a lot um which needs to happen on this front i think um not my words i'm, I'm not sure who said this but I, i you know i think it's it's absolutely right when it comes to uh, data protection or it comes for that matter of cyber security um you're never going to win the war but you need to make sure you win the battle every day exactly and it's it's a matter of time it's not a question that you will have a breach or not it's a question of when you will have a breach and how ready you are it for it so that's the challenge but you mentioned earlier yeah. about creating a culture when you need to implement privacy so how do you see that creation of culture because there are various opinions i also talk about creation of culture and that's very very important because you can put in the technical procedures you can put in the organizational procedures but if you don't change the mindset it all goes to zero yeah i, I couldn't agree more with you right i think um, 
this one is my quote and my saying right i i say this is i said you know uh, I, i it started with somebody else's but it's 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 mine right i said um you know uh, as the whole saying goes that culture eats um, strategy yeah. for breakfast but i modified it to say culture eats strategy for breakfast tactics for lunch and vision vision for dinner right? okay so peter drucker extended <laughs> it's extended <laughs> so um i think culture is everything in this it's 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 uh, you can put uh, and that's that's the point i was making about dpos i think in many ways dpos need to be culture officers because if if the, the dpos were focused only on the technology only of the process will do good work and will protect their organizations but the best way to protect your organization is by ensuring that your you know your weakest node is well educated and is is looking after it um obviously uh, in and around all of this um there are many reports which we get on compliance right we do our audits uh, we get externally audited all of those things and it's heartening to see those um those dashboards which turn green and say okay things look okay here or if there's an odd red somewhere you're like this needs action let's fix this here or whatever it is but to me the thing which gave me the biggest comfort that we were doing okay on in terms of gdpr and other things was um we were organizing an event um Uh, a virtual event somewhere or the other and there was a team discussion on it and uh, it had many many it's cross functional team it had many people on this and during the conversations you know somebody said okay there's this speaker at this event and we've got their photo and their profile and whatever it's not been put up yet on the website why has this not been updated and literally the junior most member on the team in this call replied saying no i haven't i've got it but i haven't updated it because uh i've asked a question and nobody's answered saying have we got the person's express consent to upload wow. their photograph because their photograph is personally personally identifiable information right so now uh that gave me a lot of comfort saying okay if that's 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 the conversation which is happening inside it means you know we we are doing the best we can to secure ourselves but i think the challenge is uh, especially in large global businesses um you got to keep on it keep educating keep reinforcing and um, doing the right things right um, and often it's painful to do the right thing yes, because it, it hurts your ability to operate or to do something or you know uh, it 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 means you don't end up supporting a business urgency but you know better to take that pain short term than than pay in the long term exactly in fact in that context i had somebody i met somebody who was a dpo and the title was called chief trust officer so that was a few weeks back i met an organization ceo and they said here's our dpo but we call her cto and i was like cto chief technical officer no 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 the chief trust officer and so that's the way companies are thinking and that's how we need to think dpo is there to enhance trust rather than to implement laws of course that's the primary role by the law but you have to create trust you have to create respect yeah. and create a culture absolutely and i think it's it's we were talking about it a little earlier right i think um, from any consumer point of view right uh, for us right as a business right we are we are we're a very large technology company we, we have 22 billion in revenues we operate in uh, 46 countries we have as you said at the start we have about almost uh, now uh, half a billion employees across the world we work with thousands of the world's largest companies but when you go down to it for us our consumers are essentially um business executives right right there's the chief information officer chief technology officer the ceos or whatever the c suite and also the directors and business owners in, in these businesses they they business executives they're not um, broader than that in in every sector um so there is there is a different dynamic for us 
uh, versus a business which is very B2C and has, I don't know, uh, 10 million customers, right? As I said, we, we work with a thousand companies. Inside those thousand companies, there are five or six people who are most relevant to us. Yeah. So our entire uh, customer base is 6,000 people. Now, we need to um, protect their privacy with as much respect as does a retail business, which, is looking, which has 20 million customers. That, that's all fine. But I think one thing which is common is that if you um, show transparency and respect towards your customer, um, they are absolutely happy to trust you and, and, and you know, uh, share whatever is required for you to do your business with them. I'll give you another example of this, which is um, from one of our events, um, our, our, our innovation forum. Um, all of this is happening virtually now, but there was a time it was happening in the physical mm-hmm. world. We used to get a lot of people together into these events. So um, in, in one of these events, when we started enforcing GDPR, uh, we did something fairly interesting that on the registration desk, in the coffee area, in the whatever, the lunchroom area, along with the sign which said registration or, or the sign which said, you know, coffee, cocktails, whatever, we also put on a GDPR notice there, right? Good. Which said uh, that, you know, they, they, that they are photographers and videographers who are capturing this event. And some of this will be shared on social and other media. Uh, however, if you, uh, you know, in respect, in respect of your privacy, if you feel you do not want to be featured here, just let any member of our team know and we'll flag you off and make sure that none of your images are uh, published anywhere. Right? Yeah. So we put on those things. Um, what I can tell you, Puneet, is not a single one of the customers right. came and said that, no, take me off and I don't want any picture published. But I can't tell you how many of them came and said, hey, I saw this. That was great. I'm glad you're implementing it this way. A few of them went back. Um, I remember this one came back and said, okay, uh, they, they, they introduced their own marketing department to us saying that, listen, TCS has done something fantastic at this event. I want you to do it in all of our events. Right? Exactly. So I think if you're transparent about it, if, if you show what you're doing, uh, your consumers will trust you more. If you take their data and sell it off to a third party and they, they realize you've done that, you're in trouble. So Exactly. And I, the example you're giving me, I also had a similar experience many times, but one time a company put in the cookies. So every time we have event, there are cookies and near the cookies, they put in, enjoy the cookies, but remember to read the privacy notice at the entrance. So it, it, I remember that event. Good, good sense of humor. <laughs> exactly. Good sense of humor always helps. But then as a CMO or a chief uh, communication officer, what is your expectation for DPO? Because there are a lot of DPOs who would be listening here. So what do you expect as a communication person, a marketing person from the DPO? Yeah, I think, well, I, we recognize that being a DPO is not 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 an easy job to do, right? In most no, companies, because um, in a way, it's it's still a very new role. Yeah. Uh, also shows in the statistics, right? And prior to GDPR, there used to be, I think, I think 50 or 60,000 DPOs in the world. Today, as if statistics are correct, there are now 500,000 of them, right? So this is a, it's a profession which has exploded over the last three, four years. Now, as a consequence, if you're relatively, so there are people who work on compliance, on risk, on privacy and other issues, and some of them are there, but some are doing this job for the first time. They've come from another function or, or whatever it is, right? Uh, they've, they've, um, and uh, often, you know, it's a regulatory requirement to appoint a DPO. So there are companies who appoint a DPO, but they may not have the financial or the human and the other resources to manage such a large complex organization, which is especially in large companies, right? 
smaller companies also struggle with administrative overload because they don't have the 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 ability to to sort of manage it so so it's it's a tough job we recognize it i think um the expectation on say marketing departments or dpos would be that uh, like any good partnership um there has to be value added both ways right so uh i think marketing department need to be an important partner to the dpo in implementing the change because for most companies customer data is managed by the marketing department and therefore right. for the dpo that's that's uh, that's their first sort of ground where things need to be absolutely kosher uh i think my expectation of dpos would be um that you know you're you're the you're the person who's protecting us right so you need to constantly keep us uh, abreast on what are the changes which are happening um, what uh, future risks are coming out or you know what issues are coming out um, share any even bra- best practices of uh, you know where something went wrong and and we fixed it rather than just get it going wrong and you fix it uh, share what went wrong with the wide entire organization right um, we talk a lot about best practice sharing i think organizations benefit a lot more from best failure sharing too yes right uh, i think a dpo is in a unique position to do that because um, their business is to prevent failures and when there is a failure which happens rather of course you fix it you deal with it you at times you pay a penalty for it and then you make sure you never do it again but you also need to raise awareness on why something like that happened and uh, not just fix the process but talk openly about it to your large bunch of employees and other things so that's a Yeah so I think it's 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 a lot of roles inside the DPO right you're 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 the you're the you're the fire marshal <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're the you're the educator you're the at times um, you know you, you're the enforcer it's there's a lot expected of that role and I think um, but it's important right I think it's uh, it's one yeah. of the important roles in of our time yeah. I think partner with the business or any yeah, business yeah. you work with and also bring in and out outside in perspective to that department right. while leveraging and utilizing the events that are happening rather than having a fear perspective or there's a data breach leverage it utilize it share it why it happened and how it can be avoided next time so now coming to the end of the conversation i have to ask you because the final message was already there for the business or the dpos but what would be the message from a business perspective so as a communications person as a marketing person if there was a business listening and thinking of is privacy what do i need to do what would be your message to them in context of privacy while looking at it from a communication and marketing perspective i think to businesses um, i think the most important thing you need to do as a business is that you need to very seriously think about if you haven't on what are the principles ethics and um, you know the guidelines under which you feel your business should uh, operate because for any business right they are defined codified laws and regulations and other things and then there are common industry practices and, yep. and there's a huge gray area in the middle right it could be as big as 50 or 60% of the things which you do is gray it could be transgressing a law but technically it's not but it could be whatever right so i think uh figuring out what you stand for as a business is really important because um i think the key thing for a business is that this what the the smartest thing a business can do is self regulate right if you self regulate well you'll never get into trouble with regulators yeah right uh, most businesses change after they get into regulatory trouble 
then you're forced to change. There's no choice. You've paid a fine. You've uh, all of those things. But if you if you can you know think about it and and already operate at a higher level, uh, then then you know whatever a regulator does, you're fine. You're you're all right with it, right? That's why I was saying that if we imbibe imbibe GDPR across the world, as privacy um, regulations evolve in other parts of the world, you know we feel fairly comfortable that we're we'll cover there may be some small tweaks or some differences or some nuances somewhere else, but that's there. But that's also, by the way, if I may put it, that's also uh, something which is in, which businesses will expect of regulators. If we're talking on that, is uh, especially global large corporations is is you want to look at more global standards and more homogenization of standards because the hardest thing for a business to do is apply one way of operating in in one region and another way in another region and totally different way in a different region and that adds so much complexity, administrative waste, and and also risks and and chances of failure because you know, uh, so I think if if they can be um, more and more confluence in 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 what privacy means and and how do we implement it, how do we regulate it, uh, how do we penalize breaches? I think that will that will be great, right? I mean, one day you might even have a multilateral institution dealing with it. You're the World yep. Health Organization. You're the World Trade Organization. You may have a World Privacy Organization, right? Who knows? Who knows? Indeed. Yeah. And I think there was that intention uh, long back when the OECD published its own privacy principles. Then uh, the US published its fair information privacy principles. There was an intention, but it didn't take off as it should have. And yeah, that's yeah. why now as a consequence, we are having each and every country coming up with the law. Absolutely. And, right. And I think um, it, things evolve, right? I'm, I'm a great believer in the, in the Socratic method, right? Which is your best wisdom and learning comes through critically questioning what you do and, and operating through questions, right? So, so if I turn the tables on you on a second, Puneet, then I put a <laughs> tough question to you right now. Go ahead. Which is, which is when you're talking about privacy, so I'll put one of the toughest questions here, which is, does a terrorist have a right to privacy? That's a very good question. So even when we talk about right to privacy, enshrined in the I think 1946 European Council, uh, uh, UN, UN Charter, as well as the uh, 1950s uh, EU Charter, it says, unless un, until it does not impact the state. So if you're doing something in context of yourself, that's fine. But when it impacts the state and it's acting against the state, then the right to privacy can be revoked. Can be revoked, yeah. indeed. So it's, in, it's, it's always it's balanced. Correct. So I think, as you're right, right, I think, I mean, the question in a sense begs an obvious answer saying, of course, no, they have no right to privacy. If somebody is a terrorist, you know, by all means, we expect the state and the policing mechanisms to monitor them constantly and ensure that they don't do um, the damage that they can do. But on the other hand of the side, and, and, and there's a parallel on this on the legal side, right? Um, so there was this whole case of um, um, uh, this this lawyer called... Um, in fact, he's a, he's, a, he's a law professor called Ronald Sullivan, who um, ended up representing uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, who, who's been accused of, you know, uh, yeah. uh, certain offenses. And he got a lot of flack for that, saying, why are you representing someone of this ilk? And I think the point he made was that until you're proven guilty, uh, everyone is point. innocent. And so everyone needs fair representation. And if everyone refused to rep represent someone just just because they've been tried in the court of public opinion, then actually it's a slippery slope and our whole law and order and justice system can fall down, right? 
so i mean there are those two points of view uh, i think i'm always a pragmatist that answer to the question will lie somewhere in the middle which is absolutely yeah. everyone should have the right to privacy it should be protected it should not be easily uh, made an exception to but there should be a process and method in which as you just said rightfully that let's say if someone is displaying certain behaviors you could be monitoring on social media and find somebody is displaying some extremist behaviors then there is a, a very clear but a controlled process by which a state can infringe on their privacy and i think that's what most people do right and then I you're taking exactly words out of my mouth yeah. because that's when we see there are two different behaviors we see the european or the us part wherein we focus a lot on the privacy aspect and then this terrorism and sometimes they take advantage of these principles and then we have the other part of the world wherein the privacy laws are not so strong and it's not a fundamental human right and there they tend to infringe on the terrorism and the state part of it and the privacy right is a little bit uh, yeah. you know stepped on so there's the balance is hard because you will say you should have caught them you knew them you have all the intelligence but till they have done something you can't can't say or you don't have the right, right. yeah it's 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 hard it's hard but the risk of saying you know gives just uh, it's okay to infringe anyone's privacy at any point no, of no, time no. is is immense so i think um, as always but these are tough questions there's no right answer right it's a, it's no it's there's a, no right answer and and, and, and and societies also evolve over time in what they feel is the right answer so so i think uh, like you know gdpr is the regulation of our times uh, there'll come a time when things have evolved uh, in a different way i mean we may be talking about rights of privacy for robots and machines in the future right. i don't know there's a uh, there's a lot of exciting things uh, so 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 you know uh, there's already this corona thing which is challenging us saying do you give your data for health purposes or not now you give the data to state you let them know that you are vaccinated and vaccine passport and all those things but how far does it go how far does it go in terms of my privacy maybe i'm not interested yeah. in that vaccination or maybe i am but why does the state need to know so there's no easy and no, clear great answer example. great example now 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 if if you're a european citizen you can rest assured that if your data has been collected right you, you have certain rights under gdpr in which you can ask uh, whoever has collected it on how you using it how you processing it what data do you have on me and then you can invoke always your right to forget at some stage right whereas in maybe another region where privacy laws are not that strong you could find that some organizations have collected this data and and who knows they're selling it to him health insurance company right? right that's the last thing anyone wants so yeah i think um, you're going to have a lot of fodder in your future broadcasts i think uh, <laughs> this is a interesting and a very important uh, subject but uh, end of the day it boils back to that first word which we used i think it is about respect in every way. yes it is about respect and then it is the your final message as well companies need to be responsible so you respect the individual and be responsible yourself and then you'll find the balance even though it may not be in the law but you need to think of ethical solutions then entirely bunny good so it was wonderful to have you thank you so much for your time and if somebody wants to contact you what would be the best way to reach out um i think as always the best way is through social media i'm very active on linkedin or twitter or any of these things but uh, i think in this day and age contacting someone is not too hard no right? it isn't uh, uh, my uh, fortunately uh, my email is protected <laughs> 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 not that easily available but but i think that's a service which platforms provide so i often have people who reach out to me on on things like linkedin or twitter or facebook and 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 that's a great way to connect 
So Puneet, uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I also understand you have a new book coming out. So wish you good luck with that. And uh, as I said, I think this is going to be an interesting field and I look forward to following your podcast in the future. So thank you so much, Abhinav. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And now we ask you for some help. Take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast. Your support matters. And if you have done it already, thank you so much. Now, if you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. And finally, if you know someone who will benefit from this, share this podcast with them and help us grow. Thank you so much. Stay safe and see you next time.